You are listening to the Grace Covenant Cornelius Podcast. Amen. Thank you, Angela. Good morning. I have a bit of breaking news for you. Um, we've stopped their building out back, and we've shifted all of our attention. We're now building an ark. So you can get on board with us. Someone just told me today that in the month of February this year, we've had more rain than we've had like in a hundred years as they have recorded like rainfall. So it's pretty crazy. Um, I'm ready for some Carolina blue sky. I don't know about you, but I'm on. Hopefully it's going to happen today. Well, grab your sermon notes there, your Bibles if you would. This morning we're beginning a, a new series of messages about you. Not so much talking about you specifically, but talking about you as the church. Like, have you ever given much thought to, like, what's the purpose of the church? What, what did God intend when he created this? What, what did he have in mind? Like, like, how should we function? What, how should we be like living this thing out? Now, there's a lot of different thinking today. Depending on who you read as to the purpose of the church, what makes up the church, how the church should function. Recently, a group of college students who were talking about a younger generation were asked this question, what is the church? Pretty wide open question. What is the church? And uh, I recorded some of their responses. I want you to listen to a few of these. One young man said the church is a meeting place for people to get together and understand their faith, to understand their belief if they are Christian. It's also a place for people who are not Christians to go and understand Christianity. Pretty good answer. Would you agree? One young lady, when asked the question, what is the church? She said this, in all honesty, I think any kind of group worship is pretty unnecessary because it's pretty personal. And in the end, I think it's kind of creepy, like a cult. So if you're wondering what you're a part of, from her perspective, you're a part of a cult. Another young man said this, my thoughts about the church are that it's kind of pressuring these days. I mean, kids feel like they're forced to go to church just to pay their respect to God. Another young man, when asked the question, what is the church, said this, I guess I think of a building, a place people go to worship God with family. It's one of those structures that has a cross on top of the building. Well, the church is more than a building just with the cross on top of it. The church is more than a place where we go to worship and fellowship, although... Although that happens here on a Sunday morning. The church is more than a place where people learn spiritual truths and find encouragement. Also, that, that also ha- happens here on a Sunday or a Monday evening. You know, it's my belief that we have wrongly defined the church. That we have a wrong view, a wrong understanding of the church today. Matter of when you hear the word church... There's certain images that come to your mind, and I would submit to you that over the past 80, 90, maybe 100 years, we have mystified and wrongly defined the church. Therefore, the tendency is that we're not living out the purpose that God intended when he created this thing called the ecclesia, the church, the called out ones. Ecclesia is the Greek word for church that simply means called out ones or called out individuals. If we don't know the purpose of an object, the tendency is is that we either abuse the object, misuse the object, or neglect the object. Think about that. It's pretty general. If we don't know the purpose of an object, we'll misuse, um, we'll neglect, um, or not fully use the potential, whatever the object was, was created to be. For example, I have this morning as a point of illustration, a saw. Now, how many of you know what this is? 
You don't have to raise your hand. You can just say, this is not class. We're not in school. But it's a, it's more specific, it's a wood saw. A wood saw. Um, and it was created to do what? To cut wood. Man, you're so bright this morning. It's a wood saw that was created for this purpose to cut. But if I were to take this tool and I were to try to use it, let's say that I didn't know what it was created for, I didn't know the purpose, and I tried to take this tool and use it as, as something to pry with. How many of you know it, it wouldn't work very well? Why? Because it was not created as a tool to pry with. Or let's say I, I didn't know what this tool was for, and I thought, wow, I need something to use as a hammer, I think I'll use that. And so then I try to take it and use it as a hammer. How many of you know? Wouldn't work well and would probably what damage the saw because that's not what it was created for. The purpose of this tool, this wood saw, is to cut wood. And again, if I use it for that purpose, it works really well. But my point is, if we don't understand the purpose of the church, the function of the church, then the tendency is, is that we don't maximize the potential of what I believe God intended when he created the church. So over the next few weeks, this is what we're going to be talking about. We're going to be talking about the purpose of the church, the why. Why the church? We're going to talk about who makes up the church and and what it looks like to live on mission. Because the church is so much more than an institution that meets at a defined location once a week. The church is, is really a living organism made up of people who have been saved through the provision of Jesus Christ and are living representatives of Jesus wherever they are. That's what the church is. So let me tell you a couple of stories that I think will help you better understand the church, to give you a picture of the church. There's one of our families that worship here at Grace um, who had an opportunity, and here's the opportunity. This goes back to October of last year, October of 2018. There was a lady by the name of Daisy Link who posted a Help Wanted ad in one of Statesville Facebook uh, page community, the community page. And, and this was the ad she posted. She needed someone to help her move her mother from a first floor apartment to a fourth floor apartment. And she needed some help, had no money, couldn't hire anyone. The greatest incentive she could offer was some pizza for those who would come and help. Now, my question is, is who in the world would see a Facebook ad about helping someone move and respond to that? Like, I know you, and if you were calling me to help you move, I'm not going to answer the phone. And I know you. So let's talk about, like, this, like... Like, I don't even know who these people are. Mark and Christy had no idea. They just saw the ad and said, hey, we should go and help. And they did. They showed up. In a few hours, they helped move the grandma from a first-floor apartment to the fourth-floor apartment. There were several emails exchanged in the following days expressing gratitude and thanks. Well, about, I don't know, two weeks later, Christy actually ran into this couple in the grocery store and said, hey, why don't you come and worship with us at Grace Covenant? This is where it's located. These are our worship times. And guess what? On December 2nd, the family showed up to worship. On December 9th, the grandma, who they helped move, she showed up, and they haven't missed a Sunday since. What happened? This is what happened. They experienced the church. 
More than just a couple showing up to help move, they experienced the church in action. They saw church happening. Because the church is not about a building. The church is about people who are demonstrating the love of Jesus. Here's another, here's another picture, another illustration of the church. There's a group of men that's formed here at Grace Covenant called S1A. S1A simply means this, serve one another, serve one another. And the purpose of this group is men at Grace Covenant who are committing to take one Saturday a month to go and do service projects. So let's say individuals who have something that's broke that needs to be fixed or yards that need to be cleaned. So these would be individuals who who either cannot provide the service or maybe they don't have the ability to provide the service. And so there's a group of men who said, hey, we want to move to action and we want to take on some of those projects. So what is that? It's more than a group of men who are doing projects. It's the church in action, Right. It's individuals who are saying, hey, I've been impacted by the love of Christ. Now I'm going to go demonstrate the love of Christ to other individuals. And I could go on and on with stories, but what I want you to see and understand this morning is that the church is not a building. Church is not a building. The church is people redeemed by Jesus to be his representatives in the world. The church is not just... The church is not just people experiencing Jesus. The church is people expressing Jesus seven days a week. And the expressing part is like really important. So we don't go to church. We are the church. So tell your neighbor this morning, say, hey, you're the church. You know, most of the time, most of the time when we think of church, we think of Sunday. We say things like, hey, I think I'm going to go to church on Sunday. And that's really not accurate. I understand what you're saying. But if you think about it, it's really not accurate. It's really not accurate because you are the church. Like, how can you go to church if you are the church? Right. That's who we are. We are the church. We are living representatives of Jesus Christ wherever we're processing life, wherever we're living life out. So what's their job? Their job is really to represent Jesus. I mean, if you think about it, Sunday's really about Monday. What happens on Sunday is really to prepare us for Monday. If our job as Christians was simply to gather and worship, worship God, listen, we could do that in heaven. But our job is more than that. That's why God has strategically placed us, the church, throughout the community in different jobs in different locations in different schools. Why? So we could represent him as the church. So what, again, what's our job exactly? This may surprise you, but it's not to convert people and it's not to save people. Actually, the scripture says very little about us converting people. This is what Jesus did say, though. Acts 1.8, he says, you will be my witnesses. You'll be my living testimony. You'll be my representatives. Like wherever you go. Representing the love of Christ. Living out the love of Christ. Expressing Expressing Christ to those that we do life with. See, God's plan, God's plan was never to empower an institution. And I think that's where we missed it. And you have to go way back in church history to pick that up. But God's plan was never to empower an institution. But God's plan was to empower people that would represent him to a lost world. That's God's plan. That, he would, that you would be empowered to go and live out the grace of Jesus and the love of Jesus and the truth of Jesus so that people would like experience Jesus. That, that was God's plan. And we're a part of, of that mission. 
You know, if you look at the whole of Scripture, and I'm going to do this really quick, but if you look at the complete Bible, the whole of the Bible, you see like this radical relocation of the presence of God. Let me walk you through this really quick. We begin with stage one. I think there's three stages. And so we began in the Old Testament, and the Old Testament is really God in there. So where was the presence of God? It was in there. The presence of God literally moved into a building. So King David, the second king of Israel, wanted to build a temple. He wanted to build a house where the presence of God would be, and God said, no, uh, it's not for you to build. It's your son that's going to build that you gather supplies. So King David gathered a lot of gold, a lot of lumber, to build this temple. And Solomon was the one who eventually built the temple in Jerusalem, the place of God's presence. And interesting, when the building, when the temple was finished and they dedicated the temple, there was something pretty dynamic that happened. Matter of fact, listen to how the scripture records this. In 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 1 and 2, the scripture says, When Solomon finished praying, Fire came down from heaven and consumed the bird offering and the sacrifices. And notice, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. The priest could not enter the temple of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled it. So God's presence moved where? Into the temple, in the building. God's presence moved into a structure, a location. Now, what you know, if you read church history, that the temple was destroyed and it was rebuilt. It was destroyed again. And today, if you were to go to Israel, I was, I was in Jerusalem just a couple weeks ago with a group of folks. And one of the locations we went to was the Western Wall or the Wailing Wall. And it's one of the most holy sites in Jerusalem. Why? It's the closest thing that's left that was connected to the temple. Because the temple was the place of God's presence. So today, people go and they pray at the Western Wall because it's the place of God's presence. So stage one, we see God's presence in there. But as we move to the New Testament, the unfolding of God's redemption plan, we come to the second stage. And the second stage is this, Emmanuel, God with us. And see the progression of the stages. God in there, in a structure. Now we have God with us. Throughout the Old Testament, there was prophecy after prophecy that spoke of the salvation that God was bringing for his people. And he was going to send a redeemer. Who was the redeemer? It was Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So God shows up what to be with us. So now his presence is, is with us. It's interesting how scripture records this. Because what we would know is that Mary, the Virgin Mary, conceived by the Holy Spirit, it's miraculous, And she gave birth to the Son of God. Listen to how Matthew records this. Matthew chapter 1 verse 23 reads like this. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means what? Wow. So now God's moved from a building to being with us. The Son of God, the presence of God, present with humanity. And if you read the Gospels, you'll, you'll discover how Jesus hung out with folks. He taught, he healed, he uh, confronted the religious leaders. But ultimately, we know that Jesus was falsely accused and he was crucified. But the good news is this, the grave couldn't hold him. He rose victorious on the third day, making the way for stage three. And what's stage three? So we have God 
in there we have God with us. Here's stage three, God in us. Again, we see the presence of God, this radical relocation. Now, it's interesting that before Jesus went to the cross, he was telling his disciples about what was going to happen. And basically, here's the summation of what he says. He says, hey, guys, I'm leaving. I've been with you. God's been with you. But I'm leaving. I'm going the way of the cross. But here's the good news. When I leave, the Father's going to send the Holy Spirit. The Father's going to send the third person of the Trinity. Remember, in John chapter 14, Jesus, speaking to the disciples, says these words. He says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him or knows him, but you but you know him, for he lives, notice, with you and will be where? In you. So we went from in there, in the building, to with us. Now, where's the presence of God? It's in us. Pretty amazing. Following Jesus' crucifixion and, and resurrection before his ascension to heaven, Jesus said these words, these words to his disciples is recorded in Acts 1, chapter 1, verse 4 and 5. He says, don't leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift the Father's promise, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized you with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. That word baptized, the Greek word is baptizo, and it means to fully immerse in. Jesus says, hey, you're going to be fully immersed in the Holy Spirit. The presence of God is going to come dwell in you. What Jesus spoke of happened on Acts, in Acts chapter 2. You can read about it. On the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came upon the disciples. It was the presence of God who you, that used to be in there was with us. Now it's in us. The Apostle Paul picks this up in 1 Corinthians 6.19. Listen to how Paul records this. He says, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? So your body's now what? It's, it's the dwelling place. It's the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you who you've received from God. So today, today we are living in stage three. That we have what? We have God in us. It's really important that we understand that as Christians, as Christ followers, we carry the presence of God with us. So wherever we are, that's where the presence of God is active and at work. So wherever you are, in your workplace, wherever work takes you, in your school, wherever your school is at, in your college, wherever your college is at, that's where church is happening. Why? Because that's where the presence of God is at. Well, because he dwells in you. So wherever you go, that's where God's at. That's where God's working. So we are the people of God. We are God's representatives. So the church is more than a building where Christians gather. The church is more than a religious institution governed by laws and regulations. The church is really people who have received the mercy, the grace, and the love of God and had their sins forgiven. The church is really people who have experienced the love of Christ who are now demonstrating, living out the love of Christ. So again, who's the church? You're the church. It's not this building. It's not 17301 Statesville Road. If you're wondering, that's our address. No, the church is living, breathing individuals who are sitting in pews this morning, hopefully still awake. You're the church. I think today we need to rethink the church. And I want to leave you with three statements. 
I think we need a paradigm shift as it relates to church. What's a paradigm shift? A paradigm shift is when I come to a new understanding or when I shift my thinking about something, an object, and that I now see it completely different than I used to see it. That's a paradigm shift. I think we need a paradigm shift when it comes to the church. So I'm going to give you three shifts that I think we need to make. The first is this. The clergy are not the only ministers. Can I get an amen on that? Every Christ follower is a representative of Jesus and a minister of the gospel. So who are the ministers of Jesus? We are. Turn to your neighbor and say, hey, you are. You're going to tell but you're a minister of the gospel. If you've opened your life to the wonder of God's grace, if you've been born again, then you have the presence of God in you, and you are a minister of the gospel. You were a minister of Jesus Christ. Please don't make the mistake. Oftentimes, people will introduce me and say, hey, I, I want to introduce you to my pastor, our minister. Don't make that mistake. I'm just one of a lot of ministers. I happen to have this title, pastor, in front of my name. That doesn't make me any more special, any more loved, any more qualified than you to be a minister of the gospel. But we're, 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 all, we're all ministers of the gospel. I'm simply one of many. The Apostle Paul makes this very clear. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 through 20. Listen as I read this passage of Scripture. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, in other words, if you've been saved, if you're in Christ, then what are you? You're a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. All of this is from God. In other words, you couldn't save yourself. God's brought this about. All of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. And notice what he's done. He's, he's given us the ministry of reconciliation. Interesting. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he's committed, here it is again, he's committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, Christ's representatives. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled, be reconciled to God. So again, notice Paul says you're a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. So now you're, you're a minister, you're a minister of the gospel. Listen, you don't have to go to seminary to be a minister. Give me an amen on that. You don't have to go get messed up. You don't have to have a license to be a minister. You don't have to have something that says, hey, I'm ordained, therefore I'm a minister. No, if you were born again, then you are a minister of the gospel. So Grace Covenant doesn't have 18 ministers, pastors. No, we have 3,500 ministers. I mean, think about that. 3,500 ministers that by God's direction are spread throughout the Lake Norman community. And every day, we get to go into our world, whatever your world looks like, and you get to live out the love of Christ as a minister, as a representative. And we need to rethink the church. It's, it's not just the clergy who are ministers. Every one of us. We're all, we're all ministers of the gospel. Here's a second paradigm shift that I believe needs to happen. Is that the church building is where we gather to celebrate, but we're called to go and demonstrate the love of Jesus. In other words, church is more than just Sunday gatherings. Now, I think this celebration time is really important. 
I love, I love, love, love coming to worship. I can't sing a lick, but I'm telling you, there's no one in this room that's going to out-worship me on Sunday morning. I love to worship. I love the fellowship. I, I like going to Clanton Hall and getting a cup of coffee and just kind of hang. I love that. But what we have to understand is that Sunday is more than, ju- I mean, the church is more than just like Sunday celebration. Sunday celebration should be this. I come to get my tank filled, my spiritual tank filled, so I can go demonstrate the love of Jesus on Monday. And Tuesday, and Wednesday, and Thursday. Then I come back Sunday, and man, we get all excited, and we celebrate Jesus, and we celebrate the goodness of the Lord, so I can go on Monday and I can demonstrate the love of Jesus. I mean, think about, think about how silly this would be. Let's say you have your automobile, and once a week, on Sunday morning, you get in your automobile, and before you come to church, you go to the gas station and you fill it up. You fill the tank up to drive to church, to drive home. And you don't drive your car the rest of the week. But come Sunday, you get in your car, you go to the gas station, and you top it off again so you can come to church, so you can drive it home, so you can park it in the garage so it stays clean and safe and no one can mess with it. And you don't drive it until it comes Sunday again. And on Sunday you get up and you go to the gas station and you top it off again so you can come to church so you can take it home and park it in the security of your garage. How ridiculous would that be? Oftentimes that's how we treat church. We come and we get our tanks filled so we can go and just live in the safety and security of our garage. I believe that Sunday's important, but it's about celebration so we can go Demonstrate so we can go live out the love of Jesus. So think with me for a, think with me for a moment. Which do you think is, is God honoring and really living out God's plan? That we would just come and celebrate, get all emotional, get all excited, but do nothing with our faith, or that we would come and celebrate so we could go and demonstrate. What, what do you think is God's plan? And we would go and demonstrate. We would go and live out in the love of Jesus. So, so here's, here's a third paradigm shift that we need to make. And it's this. An effective church is not about how many people are in the pews, but how many people are on assignment. Let me say it another way. An effective church is not about how many butts are in the seat, but how many feet are on the street. Not about... How many people are on the roll? That's, that's really not the sign of an effective church. I think the sign of an effective church is like how many people are living on assignment. What does it mean to be on assignment? To be on assignment means there's individuals who are representing the love of Jesus in their everyday realities. That's what it looks like to be on assignment. The love of Jesus has impacted me. I've come. I've got my spiritual tank full. Now I'm going to go demonstrate the love of Jesus. I'm going to go live my life on assignment. You know, when I go to pastors' conferences, I go to usually a couple a year, and, and this happens all, all the time. You probably would think, oh, that wouldn't happen, but it does. When I go to pastors' conferences, somehow the conversation always ends up with how big is your church? How many people worship where you lead? How many people are members of your church? As pastors, we fall into the comparison thing as well, just like you. I mean, we're not above that. 
And, and really what they're trying to get to is like, how successful are you? Because we've come to define success as how many people are on the roll. How many butts did you have in the seat this week? Yeah, and that's how we define success, whether we're being effective or not. And, and can I tell you, you can have 3,000 people and not be effective. You have 4,000 people and not be effective. 5,000 people and not be effective. Because what effectiveness is not about how many people we can squeeze in the building, but effectiveness is about what are we going to do on Monday, Tuesday? Are we going to live our lives on a sign? Are, are we going to truly... Are we going to truly be the church? See, we're not called to be just the church gathered. We're called to be the church scattered. Scattered throughout our community, representing Jesus. Again, I believe our corporate times of worship are important. I'm not trying to say they're not important. I think it's important to come and worship, to to be refreshed, to get your tank filled. But again, we have to understand the purpose of that is so we can live on assignment. Why? Because we're all ministers We're all ministers of the gospel. Listen, it's time that we stop doing church and time that we start being the church. Being the church in our neighborhoods, our workplaces, schools, and and wherever else life would take us. So how do we be the church? I think it's really simple. Don't don't make it difficult. I think at times we make it way too complicated. So how do we be the church? It's like, on Monday, let's say you go to work and it's 9 o'clock in the morning, you're at the coffee station and there's someone there who's really discouraged. Maybe they had a tough weekend and are really discouraged. And so you take a few minutes and you encourage them. You speak words of affirmation in life to them. What are you doing? You're demonstrating the love of Jesus. On Tuesday, let's say you, you go to work and you, you find out that there's someone in your workplace or someone on your way to work, you, you, you pass someone, you meet someone, and they have a point of financial need, and you, you come to understand that they need $20 or $100, and you just happen to have an extra 20 or an extra 100 in your pocket, and you say, hey, I can do something about that. I, I can help meet that need. What are you doing? You're demonstrating the love of Jesus. On Wednesday, you, 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 run, across, you run across someone who's like lost all hope. Maybe there's been... Event after event, adversity after adversity after adversity, and they're just wondering, is there hope? And you begin to speak hope into their lives. The hope of Jesus that you've experienced in your own life. You begin to share that. What are you doing? You're demonstrating the love of Jesus. On Thursday, there's someone who just needs like someone to talk to. In other words, they need some of your time. Now, I don't know about you, but I can tell you for me, time is one of the most valuable things I have. I never have enough time. I'm always pressed for time. If I'm going to give someone my time, I'm giving them something that's really valuable to me because I don't have enough of it. There's someone that just needs, they, they, they just need you to listen. And so you take 20, 30 minutes out of your day and you listen. You just listen. They don't want you to solve the problem. They just need someone to talk with. And you take time to listen. What are you doing? You're demonstrating the love of Jesus. You're being a minister. You're you're being the church on mission, on assignment. I think it's time that we stop 
doing church and that we be the church. Embracing the mission that God's given us here in the Lake Norman community as we simply do this, as we demonstrate, as we demonstrate the love of Christ to people around us, in our schools, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, living life on mission. Would you pray with me? Lord, I thank you this morning for the wonder of your love, the greatness of your provision. God, I thank you that you have rescued us. God, that you've revealed your love, your grace, your provision for us. and You've you've made us alive. Lord, my prayer today for myself, for my friends here, is that we would that we would be your church. Not just do church. Not just come and, and, and engage in some religious activities on a Sunday and then set that aside because we've got to go into the real world. No, God, may we understand that, that you have that you have redeemed us, that you've saved us, that we can go into the real world to represent you. Lord, may we be able to rethink the church. But my prayer is that we would never that we would never see the church the same again. That we wouldn't think of the church as a building. We wouldn't think of the church as, well, here's a location and there's a building with a steeple on it. Holy Spirit, I pray that from this point forward, we would see the church as being us. On mission for you. For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.